0: I forgot about Carrot Gate. How can I possibly forget about Carrot Gate? Hello, and welcome to episode 5 of Humans Are Worse. This past week has been crazy. I've gone back to work, and I'm really not in the work routine yet. I'm so tired, the days are so long. I enjoy what I do, but I also enjoy sleep. And being away from the cats is weird. So when I get back from work, we have this routine. It's so normally come in, get all of the cuddles in the world. Norman really likes to drink out of the bathroom sink. As soon as I'm all sorted, he'll run straight up to the bathroom door, start meowing and jumping up at the handle. So of course I go in, I let him drink out of the tap. I probably shouldn't do that because when I'm in the house, he doesn't drink out of his water bowl because, of course, he needs only the best. But yesterday I did this. I normally leave the tap running a bit. Leave the light on for him, of course. And then I'll go about and do my business and come back and sort it out afterwards. Yesterday was just like every other day. Norman had, of course, asked me very politely to drink some water from the tap. I'd went about doing what I need to do. Clarice was somewhere acting like an idiot. And I go back into the bathroom to turn the light off. I'm a multitasker. So of course I'm holding my phone, loosen up my fingers, go to pull the cord that's about head height, and my phone slips right out of my hand onto the tile floor. I've had this phone for over a year and it's the first phone I have not smashed. Up until yesterday. There is not a single part of my screen that does not have a crack on it now. Clarice Leave the microphone alone. But I guess I chose to have cats. I chose to allow Norman to drink from the tap. I chose to leave the light on for him. When cats can supposedly see in the dark. So really I can only blame myself. And plus Norman's too damn cute. I can't, I can't be mad at him. Even though it's his fault. This weirdo loves water. When he was little he actually jumped in the toilet twice. And I don't mean too separate occasions. I mean, he jumped in the toilet, I dried him, and he jumped back into the toilet. I've never seen desperation like it. Now let's get on to why humans are worse. And my laptop's frozen. So it's 1999, and we're in Manly, Australia. 24-year-old Kelly Lane is giving birth to her first child alone. No family, no friends. Even her boyfriend and father of her child isn't in attendance. And she places the child up for adoption. Norman, stop fighting my foot. I'm trying to do a thing here. You're meant to be listening. But when the social worker assigned to her is looking through documentation, he finds that this actually isn't Kelly's first child. She had in fact had five pregnancies in the past seven years, and she'd carried three of them to full term. At the age of 19, Kelly had given birth to her first child, who was put up for adoption. At 21, she gave birth to her second child, who she actually kept and named Tegan. But something was definitely off about the fact that she said this was her first child. Well, the social worker decided to look into her second child, Tegan, the one she took home. The social worker found that there was actually no record of the baby after they left the hospital. In fact, this being three years later, Tegan gonna disappeared without a trace? Norman, you can't get on my knee, I've got a laptop. Oh, offer. Thanks. Um, why is my screen black? Don't start wanting down. Don't do all of that and then leave. You signed me out. Oh my god, it's still recording. But where was I even up to? So, of course, Kelly was questioned and she began explaining that Tegan had actually been given to a couple in Perth. Which does really seem strange considering her other two full-term pregnancies were adopted out legally. Why is everyone attacking my shoes today? On the day of Tegan's birth, Kelly had played in the grind... grind? That's not right... She'd actually played in the grand final of a water polo match and went to an after-party before she even gave birth. Turns out that no one was aware that she was pregnant, not even her boyfriend. And she'd actually hidden all five of her pregnancies from everyone. This, of course, raised a few alarm bells and the police got involved. When speaking to the police, her story actually changed and she stated that she'd given Tegan to her biological father, Andrew Morris, who was just some guy she was having a casual affair with. She'd met up with him for a few weeks in his apartment while his girlfriend was away. When she'd told him that she was pregnant, he'd of course kicked off a bit, but he agreed to take care of the child along with his mother and girlfriend. I bet she wasn't happy. However, if we just quickly skip forward two years... Kelly's interviewed by police again, and this time, she says that the guy's name is Andrew Norris, not Andrew Morris. And if she didn't even know his name, what else did she not know about this guy? Guys, give it a rest. (laughs) Also, turns out that during the initial police interview, she was actually seven months pregnant, so the police priority was obviously finding Tegan. But they thought in order to find Tegan, the best bet was to find this Andrew Morris, Andrew Norris. So they were searching all of the records from driving licenses, vehicle registrations, immigration records, electoral rolls, and even official name changes. But they couldn't ever find a man that matched the information given by Kelly. They also used two years to search the records of more than 9,000 primary schools to find Teagan. Two children were found by the name Tegan Lane, but of course these were investigated and ruled out. So from here the case was referred to a coroner, but with no body. The coroner said that he believed Teagan was dead, but there was still a possibility that she was alive. Which I guess is just another professional way of saying I don't have a clue. Due to the lack of evidence, the police decided not to press charges. This case was referred to the Director of Public Prosecutions and these guys can choose whether or not to press charges depending on if it's in the best interests of the community. And in this case, they decided that it was. And in 2010, a murder trial began. During the trial, her history of terminating pregnancies and putting her children up for adoption was actually used as a motive for murder, that Lane believed that having a baby would stop her from competing in the 2000 Olympics for water polo. They also said that she sat... she also... They also said that she saw... They also They also said that she showed no signs of mental illness, and the murder was simply her way of problem solving. These prior pregnancies were only able to be added into evidence because Kelly lied about them. The judge had argued that telling lies doesn't mean she's guilty, but it was taken to the Court of Appeals and they allowed it to be entered into evidence. So the jury was told that they had to consider this proof of guilt. And I feel like it's just a really big jump from lying to murder... The jury were actually meant to hear testimony from a guy called Andrew Morris, who said he had an affair with Kelly, but he didn't end up testifying. This was actually because of a deal. His testimony would not be heard in court if Kelly's lawyers agreed not to call one of their own witnesses, who was actually a friend of Kelly's who could cooperate hearing her speak of having an affair with a guy called Andrew. However, Kelly claims that she never even met the man that said he was Andrew Morris and since Tegan's blood wasn't taken at birth, the paternity couldn't be proven. And later, the man actually said that he wasn't actually sure he met Kelly. Which kinda suggests that the police have been up to a bit of funny business again. I need to start looking for a case where the police do a really really good job. I feel like I'm ruining all of my future prospects. And further to that... (laughs) Kelly's midwife had initially said that she left the hospital at 2pm. And this was written in her notes. But when she testified, she actually said that Kelly had left at 11am. And that 2pm was actually the time that the notes were written. Now, this doesn't really seem important. However... Kelly was known to be at her parents' house at 3pm the day she got out of the hospital. And from there, she'd gone to a wedding without the baby. And by the midwife changing her testimony, it meant that there was actually time unaccounted for, which arguably could have been used to dispose of Tegan's body, which, of course, was never found. So the prosecution did initially have a theory... And they said that Kelly had disposed of her baby's body at an Olympic park site. And her social worker later said that this was his theory. But the statement was withdrawn because they literally had no evidence to prove this. But by the time they withdrew the statement, the media had already been involved, posting it everywhere. And of course, when there's media coverage, it's very easy to... It's very easy to... It's very easy for a jury to see that and be influenced. However, the judge actually rejected an offer of a mistrial. And continuing to go down the rabbit hole of how awful the media can be, there was a lot of slut shaming. One article written in 2010 called her, quote, a woman incapable of effective contraception. I just don't even know what to say about that. I'm really trying not to give controversial views. (laughs) Uh, That sentence just makes me extremely stressed. (laughs) And of course, nowhere have any of these articles spoken about the men being incapable of effective contraception. It goes both ways. The judge then tells the jury to not even bother figuring out if she's guilty, but to decide, quote... Whether the Crown has satisfied you beyond reasonable doubt that she is guilty. So basically, it's just a game of were we convincing enough? My feet are not a scratch post! Get lost! Well, since the lies were brought up, the jury were able to convict her for three counts of perjury, but they couldn't come to a unanimous vote about the murder charge. From here, the judge said that it could be a vote of 11 to 1, And since there was no evidence, they of course found her guilty. (laughs) And she was sentenced to 18 years. I don't ever believe that it's my place to say whether a person is or isn't guilty. The jury were told to just consider the evidence. But even the judge didn't think that she'd be charged. How on earth, with no body, no witnesses, no physical evidence, how... How did the jury come up with the fact that she's guilty beyond reasonable doubt? The cats are getting rowdy, I think they disagree too. Like I said though, she could be guilty, but she could be innocent. (laughs) And of course her lawyers thought that too. And in 2011 they appealed the conviction due to lack of evidence. But that very same day, a witness came forward. He said that he was the taxi driver, stating that he collected Kelly and the baby from the hospital. He said that after driving for a while, Kelly requested that they stop. She got out of the taxi with the baby, and then she left the baby in the bushland and got back into the taxi. And weirdly enough, the taxi driver just took her home. The driver did say that he returned to the baby, and there's some reports that a woman was there, saying that she would look after the baby, so he just left. However, there's no record of who this taxi driver actually was. And I don't think he's made an official statement. But the appeal was rejected. In the years after the trial, these cases had a lot of scrutiny. Turns out that the police hadn't actually completed their search for Teagan by the time that Kelly was convicted. So they have no proof that she'd actually disappeared. There's also people that have said that they witnessed Kelly coming to and from the apartment block that she said Andrew lived. But they weren't even interviewed by police. And even though there's differing reports of where the baby was handed over, being the car park or the waiting room, weirdly enough there's no CCTV anywhere. I guess in this episode, there's not really any evidence for me to critique. Just the lack of it. She's eligible for patrol in three years. Patrol? I've said that twice now. And she's eligible for parole in three years. Clarice, what's wrong? Oh, she has food. She's happy now. Even to this day, there's innocence organisations trying to get Kelly out of jail And even internet sleuths trying to crack the case. I know that there's quite a lot around trying to find this mysterious taxi driver and the identity of the real Andrew. Why wouldn't he come forward if he did take the baby and then saw that Kelly had been put in prison for murder? I don't believe he'd hate her that much. I mean, they didn't really know each other. But the one thing that really strikes me is, what if the taxi driver's account is true? Who was this random woman that picked up the baby at the side of the road? Surely this woman wouldn't know that Kelly was the mother, and therefore wouldn't really have a reason to come forward. But I guess with all of the media attention around this case, I feel like someone would have come forward if they knew something that could help. There's just so many questions that I'd like the answers to, but I guess with no Tegan, there's no answers. People that knew Kelly around the time that this was happening say that she was a lovely person. They have no reason to think that she would have done something like this. She worked as a physical education teacher in a school and even her students saw her as a role model. This just doesn't tie into this whole image that the prosecution is trying to create. There's always a but isn't there? just love it when you have a really serious case and then there's one little detail that just makes the whole thing seem so ridiculous and so made up but it's real the newspaper told me so i said earlier that during the initial police interview she was pregnant well she ended up having this baby and keeping it the father of her child patrick corgan stood by her during the trial And while she was in prison, he would visit her regularly, but in 2018, he had a new girlfriend. She discovered that Kelly was sending sexually explicit letters to Patrick, and he was still visiting her in jail. In these letters, she's also really abusive towards his new girlfriend, telling him to treat her really badly. And the wording of these letters is just weird. And when his new girlfriend finds these letters, she's obviously a bit concerned, so she decides to write back, just telling Kelly to back off. But then Kelly replies. Kelly starts sending this girl poems from the book Milk and Honey. The running theme focuses on the fact that this new girlfriend will never be as good as Kelly. And if this isn't weird enough, then Kelly actually gets her associates to wrap up a carrot in newspaper and send it to the new girlfriend's address. Hence Carrot Gate. I should not laugh. I'm not go I'm trying not to laugh. Because this must be really intimidating. I mean, you're getting threats from a woman that's behind bars who may or may not be a baby killer. And then she suddenly knows your address? Well, turns out that the carrot wasn't actually delivered, because the address was wrong. But the police weren't able to work out how Kelly got this address in the first place. The carrot then became a, um, protagonist in the story. This new girlfriend was then harassed online by people that she didn't even know. She was being tagged all over social media in pictures of carrots. Oh man, it's really difficult to take this seriously. But this whole thing was meant to be a symbol that Patrick was only using this new girl while Kelly was in jail. Simply dangling the carrot, if you will. I know you can't believe everything that you read in the paper. But if this is true, it kind of tarnishes Kelly's squeaky clean image. Now there's also reports in 2019 that Kelly and Patrick are actually planning a wedding. (sighs) I just can't keep up with this girl. I guess this case just proves how convincing a prosecution can be. Norman may be desperate to get to the water, but at least that can't be used against him. Even though it's totally his fault that my phone broke. Guess that's another reason why humans are worse. Want to prove me wrong? Send me an email and let me know what kind of crimes your furry is commit. I'd also love it if you could send me some crime fiction for me to fact check on the show. Just send an email to humansareworse at gmail.com. You could also follow us on Instagram at HumansAreWorse